This morning, I'm going to start out just doing something. Um, you know, Jesus uh, used uh, object lessons to bring about uh, or really drive home uh, an important principle that we are to uh, learn, to understand, right? So this morning, if I could have whoever it is that would like to stand up and grab that cross over there and bring it over here to the front of the stage, that would be wonderful. Whoever, men, women, literally, to go grab that cross and bring it over here. Front, yeah. How many of you are saved? All right. No, salvation <clears throat> uh, is one thing. As, as, uh, as we go into salvation, we, we experience the forgiveness of Christ, forgiveness of the Father through Christ. We realize that he sacrificed himself on our behalf, Right? And I believe one of the things that sometimes the church just not, does not understand, especially in today's day and age, is what God requires of us as we give our lives to the Lord. Oftentimes we look at the Word and sometimes what's being taught and how we're exhorted by one another. And we... Um, we're quick to dismiss those things because we feel ourselves condemned. And the only way that we can feel condemned when the Word of God is, is being applied to us is if we, we're rejecting it and we don't want to follow it. We don't want to yield surrender to God's standard. But 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 says this, and I want to begin with this because we need to understand this very well. You know, it's not a burden to follow God's commands if, if you love him. In First John, I would encourage you perhaps today, this afternoon, to read through John's first letter, the entire letter. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, Jesus is beloved, the one that was with him in the upper room, the one who saw him perform miracles and the one who saw him up on the cross said this, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. 
and his commandments are not burdensome. Underline that. Put an asterisk or an exclamation point in the margin of your Bible. Highlight it. Commit it to memory. Meditate on it. And then think about how he demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Think about it the next time you question his love, his faithfulness. Think about that next time you draw your hand back from giving to him in a sacrificial way. That is giving him everything. He gave everything. So that we may know eternal life. You see, this morning we're in Mark chapter 15. The title of this morning's message is Deny, Pick Up, Follow. Deny, Pick Up, Follow. Deny, Pick Up, Follow. It's something that we ought to really have in the forefront of our minds on a daily basis. Deny, pick up, and follow. Why? Because at the very beginning, I asked you, who's saved here, right? Who's born again? Who belongs to the Father by believing in the Son? And most of you raised your hands. But we need to understand what Jesus said, what he demonstrated, and then how we demonstrate that love for him that we have declared. So let's begin as we take a look at the perfect example for us of what it means to truly do the will of the Father and do it in a way that brings glory and joy to him. Mark chapter 15, verse 1 says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels, rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And soldiers led him away inside the palace that is the governor's headquarters. 
And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him. And kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. Oh, Father, you gave everything. You didn't have to. You could have simply... Lord, brought judgment upon us. Simply finish us off and start over, but you didn't. In fact, you demonstrated your love toward us. When we were still sinners, when we were still your enemies, you sent your son to die on the cross on our behalf. That all who believe in him would be saved. Lord, you demonstrated your love toward us. Lord, and we, be, we demonstrate our love for you by also choosing, choosing to believe, choosing to honor choosing to walk out in obedience your word that you may be honored and glorified as a response to that grace that you first and foremost poured out on us, those who are undeserving. Oh, Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that your spirit would teach us all things that pertain to Jesus Christ and the gospel. Lord, that our hearts would be open to receive and lead us to repent and believe, not only in Jesus Christ for salvation, but also, Lord, that we would know in that moment that the Holy Spirit indwells us and has sealed us for the day of redemption. And we live with hope that is immovable, that cannot be taken away, and Lord, we live in, in a manner that demonstrates our love for you. And so, Father, speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be stirred up in our hearts toward you, that we would see your kindness, Lord, and what you did for us, Lord, that we may have eternal life and a hope that goes beyond the days in which we're living today. And so, Father... We commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there is no better example than Jesus of what it looks like to deny oneself, pick up one's cross, and follow God. I know we can look at different people and we can be encouraged by the example that they lived out in their own lives. And yet there is no one that comes close to demonstrate what Jesus requires of us 
than Jesus himself. There's no one better. In fact, when Jesus did tell his disciples that he must suffer, be rejected, and be killed, but that he would rise again after three days, it was in that moment, as we've learned in Mark chapter 8, that it was in that moment when he told them, and he told them three times. In that moment, Peter rebuked Jesus. How often do we stand in that place to where we're rebuking someone or telling them how to get out of the suffering that they're in when perhaps the Lord is allowing us to go through that suffering so that we may learn to trust and cling to God alone? Perhaps he's working out in us something that is far beyond what we could understand or comprehend in our own minds and hearts. Peter rebuked Jesus, and this was his response in Mark 8, 33. says, but turning and seeing his disciples. So he had Peter there, but he called all his disciples over. He turned to all of them and addressed them all. As he spoke to, Jesus, as he spoke to Peter, he says, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. You see, in that moment, in the moment when we are dealing with certain issues, circumstances, difficulties, trials, and temptations, we ought to, in that moment, be heavenly minded, not earthly minded. We ought to draw closer to the Lord. We ought to rely on Him. The Lord doesn't pluck us out of those situations. He promises us that he'll go through them with us. Jesus' disciples witnessed Jesus being opposed, tested, mocked. All of this by the hands of the religious leaders of the day. And yet... In John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Just follow me as we continue going down this path. Jesus being the chief example, the preeminent example, the only perfect example of what it means to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him. Because in that day, in that moment, people were looking for ways to destroy Jesus, track Trap him in his talk, questioning his authority, claiming to be the Son of God. They questioned that and considered it to be blasphemy. And yet, in the face of all of that, Jesus allowed absolutely nothing to delay, to distract, to stop or cause him to choose a different course than the one he knew he had to walk out according to the Father's will. In fact, on the night when Jesus was going to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot, he took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane 
to pray. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, and when and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. He did this three times. Three times. Jesus had opposition from those closest to him. He experienced active personal anger and vitriol from the religious leaders against him. They wanted him dead. Knowing he was about to endure the most excruciating pain any person could ever endure. Knowing that the sins of the world would be poured out on him. He knew all of this beforehand. And yet our perfect example. He was not deterred from walking out the Father's will over His. You see, He experienced in the flesh what you and I experience. And yet He was not deterred. He was not distracted. He was not persuaded. Stop. He wasn't convinced to remove Himself from what he was about to experience or even what he was experiencing in the moment. That is our example. How are we doing? How are we comparing? Because we, you see, we can make the excuse and say, well, we're not Jesus. Well, no. Of course we're not. No one hung on the cross but him. But we are called to be holy just as he is holy. We are called to be a light unto a dark world. We are to be set apart from the world, although in the world. To reflect his character. To glorify him. To honor him. If you love me, keep my commandments. What deters you? What causes you to draw back? What keeps you from doing the Father's will? What has kept you from doing the Father's will? Someone else? You see, you're the one that's going to be held accountable. Not anyone else. If you're blaming someone else, whether it be father, mother, brother, sister, wife, husband, friend, co-worker, neighbor, whoever it is, the guy who cut you off on the way here, the people who make you angry, anxious, overwhelm you, have been a poor example to you of what a Christian should be. 
Those all fall short. You see, you're the one that's going to be before God someday, and you'll have to give an account for you. Did you believe? Did you trust? Did you surrender? I, like anyone else, had to at some point take my eyes off of other people. And I had to just fix them on God. Fix them on my Lord, my Savior. And say, as for me, I'm going to walk with you. Come what may. I, whatever it is, whoever, if I, the whole world hates me, I'm fine with that. Jesus is our perfect example. Knowing all of this, he was not deterred from walking out the Father's will over his. That is our example of how to persevere in our expression of love toward our Savior. After Peter had rebuked Jesus for telling him and the other disciples that he would suffer, be rejected, and killed, and also be resurrected, and then Jesus turned around and rebuked Peter for being earthly-minded and not heavenly-minded, Jesus then called the crowd to come in, bring it in. I have something to tell you. The disciples were there, those closest to him, the one whom he just rebuked, get behind me, Satan, was standing right there. And then he brought everyone else in. It would be important for us in that moment to understand, hey, we need to draw in ourselves. We need to, like, what is he about to say? That's so important now that he, need, he wants everyone to hear. He wants everyone to hear right now in this place who have professed Christ as Lord and Savior, to be drawn in to hear this very important word. Because after that, he said this. If anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses, it, his, loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Do you truly want salvation? Because you, we need to understand what it means. What it looks like. To express a life that is in God's hands. Through belief in Jesus Christ. Having true faith in Him, genuine faith in Him. Sometimes we're fooled into thinking because we professed someday at some time and we're told, welcome into families, in the, into God's family, that, that we're, we're saved, but yet there's no fruit whatsoever. We, we, uh, we repeat it after the pastor, whoever is leading us in that prayer, and then, but then there's no fruit. We're, we're led to believe that we're saved. I don't know if we're saved or not. Let me tell you a story of a man years ago. It was June of 1992, and, and this man came and surrendered his life to Christ. He made a profession of faith. 
there was some change, some fruit. And yet because of trials and tribulations and then temptations, that man withdrew from the Lord and went back into the world. Walked in the world. Seemed to love the world. Went back to what he once knew even before he made a profession of faith in Christ. And then through a series of trials, through issues that I believe the Lord allowed him to experience, he remembered, oh yes, there is one who saves. There's one who forgives of everything, including my betrayal, my treason. I think often about that man. That man is me. But I wonder, did I really belong to him? You, you want to play with your salvation? Play like that. Do whatever it is that you want to do. And then trust that some moment... You profess faith, but there is no lasting fruit. There's no continuous expression of your love toward him. I will not trust in that initial declaration of trusting Jesus Christ for salvation. Perhaps I was desiring that he would fix everything. I don't know if I was saved. I, honestly, I, I don't know. Perhaps I walked away because I didn't belong to him. That's the danger. People, sometimes we play with, with uh, salvation as if it's something that, you know, we can tr treat lightly. Our very own lives, is it an expression of our love toward him, of gratitude toward the one who has forgiven us of all of our sins, has plucked us from condemnation, from the depths of hell for all eternity? You see, Jesus wanted to make it abundantly clear to every single person that was hearing him that those who believed in him and desired to follow him would be required to deny themselves, walk the path of dying to self, and persevering through their tribulation, through their tests and trials, and everything that would come their way in order to know the suffering of Christ, to know what it meant to truly express our love toward God. Following Jesus closely in obedience to his word. You know, after a very difficult teaching, many people who were following Jesus turned away from following him. And Jesus then turned to the 12 apostles and addressed them in John chapter 6, verse 6, 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Where else are we going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? But Jesus asked everyone. Many turned away, and then he turned to his apostles, and he said, you guys, you guys know me. You know what I've taught. You know who I am. It's getting tough, isn't it? You want to go too? He said, no. Listen, Christianity is not for those who want things easy. Christianity is not for those who insist on their own way. Christianity is not a way. It is the only way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you will be tested along the way to ensure your faith is genuine so that you will know. That's why I encourage you, read 1 John, the entire letter. It won't take you long. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That you would know, growing in the Lord, drawing closer to Him through the trials, knowing that your faith, although tested, will be found to be genuine. A faith that endures self, the world, and Satan's attacks, and yet remains faithful to Jesus Christ our Lord. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And again, I know I've, I've addressed and I've pointed out these two verses pr- previously, But it's worth noting again, especially with what we have before us this morning. To know what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you ever assumed that it would be easy or someone told you that everything would be fixed and everything would be fine. Well, you had it wrong and so did they. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And look to him, our perfect example. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Do you feel weary? Do you feel tired? Do you feel overwhelmed and burdened? Anxious? Worried? Concerned? Oh, look to him. Even though he had... Everything going against him. He did not grow weary or faint-hearted. We have not resisted to the point of shedding our blood, but Jesus did. He is our example to follow of what it looks like to deny oneself, pick up our cross, and follow God. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said this, quote, Men will never be great in theology until they are great in suffering. Are you great in suffering? I would say for most of us, we have a big F. We fail. Why? Because especially today in this world, man, we go through suffering, and then we have a bunch of people that gather around us. Hey, compassion and and comfort and all that is wonderful, right? But as we go through it, we should not 
be enablers to someone who continues in that place of having everything about them in, be inward. You got to look upward. Again, God never promised to take you out. He promised to be with you as you go through. Be great at suffering. Delivered and examined. So let's look at our, our example here briefly. Delivered and, ex and examined. And verse, verse 1 again. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, that is the Sanhedrin. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. You know, it was customary for the Romans to hold court at daybreak. As soon as uh, it was sunrise, they would hold court. So we see how the chief priests held consultation with all the religious leaders, especially the Sanhedrin. And they all agreed, hey, let's deliver Jesus over to the Romans to be tried. They led, him, led, led Jesus there bound, delivered him to Pilate, who is, of course, Caesar's representative in that region, governing that area. The Jews would have executed Jesus, but they had officially no legal right to do so. Although there were times, as we fast forward to the time of Stephen, even Saul of Tarsus, how it is that he persecuted, put many people to death who were of the way. But there was something else that was at play here. You see, many people had come to believe that Jesus truly was the Son of God. And so they had a dilemma. If we do it, then perhaps the people will come against us. But hey, if we give him over to Rome and they put him to death, then they did it, we didn't. That's just political maneuvering. That's all that was. There's also something very important to consider in the moment. They, they delivered him over at the very moment that the sun came up. You know, many from Galilee were there for the feast. And so they were, you could say in today's world, they were in their hotels. They were getting up. They were preparing to come in, but they had a ways to go. And so having court just at the beginning of the day would mean that it was just the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, just those people that were within Jerusalem that could be there, present at that hearing. And Roman law was swift. The accuser would be brought forth. The accusation would be stated. The accusers and the accused would be heard. All the evidence would be submitted if any, the official presiding as judge would consult his advisors. And then the magistrate or the official presiding as judge 
would then announce the verdict from the judgment seat and the sentence would also be stated and, and the person would be executed or the, the sentence would be executed immediately. So what was the accusation? The accusation was that Jesus claimed to be the king of the Jews. So in that moment, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the, the chief priests, and like all of them, the Sanhedrin, they were all saying, he's claiming to be the king of the Jews. And you and I both know that there's only one king. That is Caesar, right? Caesar is the only one that is king. But he's saying that he is the king of the Jews. Listen, if they came and said, we accuse him of saying that he is the son of God, they could care less. The Romans had multiple gods, numerous gods. I could care less. I, I, Pilate would be like, ah, dismissed. He is guilty of nothing. What's another god? Add him to the list of gods that we have. But their God was one. They said they had multiple, but their God was one, Caesar. Hail Caesar. But he was asked, Jesus was asked, are you the king of the Jews? Of course, he was under oath. He had to answer. He says, you have said so. You have said so. Was he the king of the Jews? Well, yes, but not in the way that they were making him out to be the king of the Jews. They were accusing Jesus of basically in that moment of potentially inciting a resurrection. Or an, well, he's, he is prophesying that he is sent to an insurrection. I'm sorry, an insurrection. Oh, the Crucifixion and resurrection would stir up the people, but even more so at this moment, what was stirring them up now is the potential of an insurrection. Oh, Pilate, Caesar would not like this. Oh, this man who claims to be king of the Jews, he is the one who's stirring up the people against Caesar himself to oppose and potentially lead a coup. And Jesus, his only answer was to Pilate, you have said so. Pilate discerned something. He looked at Jesus and he was giving no other answer. He was not defending himself whatsoever. And so with this demeanor, with this confidence, with this peace that Jesus had, it truly amazed Pilate. He was amazed. He was amazed because he didn't understand why a person wouldn't defend himself. It was unusual. Without a defense, Pilate couldn't do anything but side with those that brought the accusation against him. Isaiah 53, 7 says, Like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So, Jesus was delivered and examined. And then they chose to crucify him. Verse 6, now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. 
And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For you perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas and said, And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. So Pilate, not being convinced, thought of a way he could possibly turn this around and save himself politically in the face of the people. You see, it was customary for him during the feast to release one prisoner that they would request to be released. But even Pilate's perception that the Jewish leaders were doing this out of envy was accurate. And thinking the people would see this and choose to release Jesus, offered Jesus to be released. But the same people who had delivered Jesus to Pilate now are stirring up the crowd. They're the ones that were going around the crowd that was there. Have him release Barabbas instead of Jesus. Barabbas. Barabbas. Have them release him. See, there was one man who, who had committed murder in an actual insurrection against Rome. His name was Barabbas. He was one of the prisoners being held there, and he was the one they were calling to be released. I'm sure in that moment, Pilate was just shocked at this response. And he asked them what he should do with Jesus. Their answer, crucify him. And then again, he came back. Why, what evil has he done? He didn't understand this. This didn't make sense. What? Why? Why do you want him crucified? They answered again, crucify him. And because Pilate's ultimate desire was to keep peace and would do so by doing whatever they asked him to do to avoid a potential riot, which would bring attention to him from Rome, he didn't want that. He went along with it. He released Barabbas and then he had Jesus scourged and prepared him for crucifixion. Let me explain to you a little bit of what it meant to be scourged. It involved the striking of a person's back with straps of leather that had iron balls to cause deep contusions. In other words, um, tenderize the back. Iron balls. It's one thing to throw something that is hard against a surface, but it's something else to bring about those heavy objects on a piece of leather. The straps also, as they were exchanged for other straps, 
contains sheep bones to tear the skin apart and expose the deep tissue and nerves. Straw it all open. For there to be no, no skin would simply be a exposure of all the underlying tissues to expose the nerves. Even tearing apart the very skeletal muscles, leaving the victim with ribbons of quivering muscle bleeding and leaving the person in shock. And yet in all of this, I, I, I give you our perfect example of what it means to deny oneself to pick up our cross and follow the will of the Father. But then that wasn't enough. He was mocked and spat upon. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Before Jesus was led to Calvary, the, the, the battalion of soldiers, of Roman soldiers, brought him in to the palace to mock him. Yet our Lord's eyes remain fixed on the Father. His accusation was simply that he was the king of the Jews, and so they clothed him with a purple cloak, signifying royalty, and then they twisted together a crown of thorns and pressed it upon his head, piercing his brow. And then they saluted him. Hail, king of the Jews. They spat on him. You see, when, when they would honor a king... They didn't spit, but they kissed. And what they're saying is that they continually spat on him. They all did it. The whole battalion. Hey, bring it in, folks. We got ourselves a king here. What do you think? Oh, hail, king of the Jews. If that wasn't enough, they gave him this reed as if it were a scepter. And then they took it from him and they beat him with it over and over and over again. Then they knelt. They mocked him. It was all scorn. It was all mockery. It was with great contempt and with great cruelty. And yet we treat our faith so lightly, folks. We can't do this. What's wrong with us? We treat the 
offer of God's grace as if it was something we can take tomorrow. Not understanding we were the ones doing this. What's wrong with us? Why do we have such pride within us? Then they lead, led Jesus away to crucify him. And yet his eyes were fixed on the Father. This did not deter him. This did not distract him. This did not cause him to stop, to quit. He was willing to follow and work out the Father's perfect will. You see, this was a public procession to Golgotha, the place of crucifixion to strike fear in the hearts of all of the other people that they would not dare do anything remotely close to what the accused was supposedly guilty of. How many of you are paraded around? Oh, what's happened to you? The consequences that you're dealing with. May none of the others dare go close to following Jesus in that way because you're going to deal with the same consequences. Lean in a little bit more. What did Jesus do? simply declared who he was, spoke the truth, and lived a blameless life. But he came to give his life a ransom for many, for you and I. And Jesus says, come follow me. Come follow me. Deny yourself. Mark 8, 31. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? That is perhaps the part that we don't hear often enough. You see, to deny oneself is to forfeit your will and yield it to God's will. Whatever you're going through, God has allowed it. Instead of focusing on yourself, focus on the Lord in his glory. Surrender your will and choose to follow God's. As you deny yourself, pick up your cross. 
Pick it up. Daily. Sometimes we, we think about all the things that we've denied. We've denied so much. We've given up so much. No, you haven't. We can never deny enough. But the next thing is, pick up your cross. Bear your cross. What is that? Your sufferings? No. It's your death. It's your willingness to also walk this earth as a dead man to the world. You see, as Jesus picked up his cross and was walking to Golgotha, Calvary, the place where he gave up his life for us, all the people, what they saw was a dead man walking. Is that what the world sees you? A dead man walking. How many times have you put that cross down? How many times have we put that cross down? I don't want to carry it anymore. I want things to be easier, more comfortable, more convenient. Are you a dead man walking? Pick up your cross. Walk as if a dead man here in this world. Be willing to do that for the sake of honoring your proclamation, your declaration that you belong to the one who went to the cross for you. Let that cross be a reminder to each one of us that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. And then he says, follow me. Where are you going? Where are you going? To the left or to the right? Where are you going? Did you forget about the first two? You see, we're walking in God's will and on our way to our eternal home. Don't deviate. Brothers and sisters, let us not deviate. Let us not be distracted. Let us not allow ourselves to be entertained or coerced into going in different directions. Is your life in this world, world worth losing your life eternally for? Is it? That's, that's a question that you will have to answer. You have no other option. You're either for the Lord or you're against him. There's nothing in between. C.H. Burgeon said, sorrow for sin should be the keenest sorrow. Joy in the Lord should be the loftiest joy. And I'll leave you with this. I'm going to ask whoever it is, whoever it is that just understood what is required of us to be considered followers of Jesus Christ? I asked you at the very beginning, who is saved? Now I ask, ask you, who's willing to live that out? But I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Who is willing 
to demonstrate a life that is completely surrendered to Jesus Christ. A life that will express to the world that you deny yourself, that you are dead to the world, and you are willing to follow Christ, come what may. That no one else is king but Jesus Christ. He never promised an easy life, but he promised to be with us. And he gave us a sure hope in Jesus Christ. To the thief on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have to do anything else. For us, we get to be here today to demonstrate our love for Jesus Christ. I laid this cross here. This is my thought. How many times have we walked over the cross, considered the cross, looked to the cross, trampled on the cross, and yet failed to pick it up? As Jesus said, if you desire to be followers of me, if you desire, if you, that's what you want, you've claimed that to be true of you, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then follow me. He was on his way to the cross. That's the perfect example he gives to us. Father, I ask that as we are standing, Lord, as we have declared our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit to overflowing, Father. That you would empower us by the baptism of your Holy Spirit to walk out our faith, our salvation with fear and trembling. That, Lord, there would be no other before us but you. And we would be willing, Lord, to forsake all for the sake of following you and glorifying you and blessing you and you alone. One day we will see you in all of your glory. But for today, Lord, may we truly mean these words that we sing or that we surrender all to you, that we live for you, we look to you. Lord, help us, Lord. Help this church. Stand and be counted for as your children, as genuine followers of Jesus Christ. Help us as we deny ourselves, as we pick up our cross and follow you. May we honor you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.